Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 12, Chapter 12, Text 4. Atra Brahma Param Guyam Jagata Prabhavapayam Gyanam Chatadupakyanam Tam Vigyana Samyutam Atra Brahma Param Guyam Jagata Prabhavapyam Gyanam Chatadupakyanam Proktam Vignana Samyutam Yes. Atra Brahma Paranguyam Jagata Prabhavapyayam Jnanam Chatadupakyanam Roktam Vignana Samyutam Wanna try it? Okay. Atra here, Brahma, the absolute truth. Param, supreme. Guyam, confidential. Jagata, of this universe. Prabhava, the creation. Apyayam, and annihilation. Yanam, Knowledge, cha, and that upakyanam, the means of cultivating it. Ruktam, are spoken. Vignana, transcendental realization. Samyutam, including. Translation by the disciples of A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. This literature describes the mystery of the supreme absolute truth, the source of the creation and annihilation of this universe. Also presented our divine knowledge of him together with the process of its cultivation and the transcendental realization one achieves. There's no purport, so I will read the next few texts, just the English until we get to a purport. Text 5. 
The following topics are also narrated. The process of devotional service together with its subsidiary feature of renunciation and the histories of Maharaj Pradikshit and the sage Narada. Text 6. Also described our saintly king Parakshit sitting down to fast until death in response to the curse of a Brahmana's son. And the conversations between Parakshit and Sukadev Goswami, who is the best of all Brahmanas. Text 7. The Bhagavatam explains how one can attain liberation at the time of death by practicing fixed meditation in yoga. It also contains a discussion between Narada and Brahma an enumeration of the incarnations of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and a description of how the universe was created in progressive sequence, beginning from the unmanifest stage of material nature. Purport. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains that it would be difficult to give a complete list of the numerous accounts and topics contained in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Therefore, it is understood that Sutta Goswami is merely summarizing the topics. We should not consider the topics he fails to mention here less important or superfluous, since every letter and word of Srimad Bhagavatam is absolute. Krishna conscious sound vibration. Om Ajnana Timrandasya Gyana Gyana Shalakaya Chakshurul Munitam Yena Chastatmai Sri Guruvei Namaham Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Janabhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam Vancha Kalpatarubhyasya Kripasindubhyavacha Patita Anampavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Nabonamaham Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Dvaita Gadadha Shivasari Gaura Bhaktivinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Ram Hare Ram 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 Hare Hare so the 12th chapter of the 12th canto is a summary of Srimad Bhagavatam. That's the title of the chapter, Srimad Bhagavatam Summarized. And um, it states here that the Srimad Bhagavatam is basically how to cultivate divine knowledge and what we can gain by doing so. When we look at the history of what transpires here, Maharaj Parikshit gets cursed by a Brahmana at the beginning of Kali Yuga, which is the age that we're in, the age of hypocrisy, hypocrisy and quarrel. And it started with basically um, this curse of Maharaj Parikshit because he was a very saintly king and he um, was very pious and he followed the religious order in ruling his kingdom. Everybody in his kingdom was well taken care of. And um, following the religious principles. So when he was cursed to die in seven days, it's very interesting. What he does is he wraps up everything and he goes to the forest and he listens um, to this Srimad Bhagavatam that's spoken in, this, in these 12 cantos. Um, so we're in the penultimate chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is a summary. You know, it's kind of like Everything is, is coming together, and then the final chapter, which is chapter 13, everything will kind of be resolved by that point. Um, and so when he comes, he sits down to learn about who is God, what is God, how to achieve this divine knowledge. And it's very interesting because I know that if I have 
seven days, if I know that I have seven days to live, first of all, I'd be like, wait, I have so much more stuff to do. I'm not ready. But I don't know if I would just like leave everything and go to a forest, especially if you had this major kingdom and everything that comes with it. And so you can see his character by that he would do this. It's he's very, you know, saintly. He's very great. Um, and so we're learning about divine knowledge. And what is that divine knowledge? Divine knowledge of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is Krishna. Krishna means all attractive. So Krishna is all attractive one. And it's natural that we want to learn about him because he is all attractive. Sometimes we think we don't want to learn about him, but we still kind of consider you know, the higher power, the higher um, universe that's kind of got a hand in things because we're still attracted, right? Krishna is still all attractive. And so even if we think we don't believe in him, we're still attracted to him. And so we've gone through, I think there's something like 27,000 verses. I have to double check on that. Um, That are basically all about learning how to cultivate this knowledge and what to do with it. And we've talked about in the past, you know, the three modes of material nature, and that's one part of it. But really it comes down to um, Krishna, who is God, is love. And we are cultivating that unconditional, ultimate love. And it comes to um, reading scripture, associating with each other, eating wonderful prasadam, which is uh, food that has been offered to God. And then we eat what's left, but it's also known as mercy. Um, And chanting. And we chant in several ways. We chant with each other um, in a call and response type situation called kirtan. And we also chant to ourselves in japa, which is a mantra meditation that most of us engage in. And then, like I said before, that japa, that mantra meditation is the most important thing. And it's the most important way of cultivating this knowledge. I know for many years, um, I lived away from the temple while I was studying. When I was in undergrad there wasn't really a temple um in austin there might have been a few devotees but sometimes it's hard when you're studying you're really focused on your classes getting good grades taking that time out to study so the only connection that i had at that time was to chant my japa because i didn't have um association i was too busy for it it really didn't have the the bandwidth to read because I was already reading so much for classes. And um, as far as, you know, call and response, well, that's part of association. So really the only association I was getting with God was to chant. And I think that's a very amazing thing because it can be done at any time by anyone, um, anywhere. There are no hard and fast rules for chanting. We do have the 10 offenses that we try to avoid. But for most people, there's no, there's no hard and fast rules. Just you can chant, you can pick up a set of beads and chant on beads, and we tend to do that so that we can engage our senses while we chant. You know, when we hold on to the beads, we engage our. Um, sometimes we like to 
throw some fragrance sticks into our bead bag. So now we've engaged our sense of smell. We engage our sense of hearing by chanting softly to ourselves to where we can hear it, but it shouldn't disturb other people. And we engage our um, sense of well speaking because we're talking while we are chanting. So, you know, sometimes we can create some type of beautiful environment so that we have something visually to, to occupy our senses. So it's a way to engage all of the senses and, you know, um, really concentrate and on that association, developing that relationship with God. I know that many of us are on that path to do so. I know for myself, I'm not always perfect. Sometimes my mind wanders and I think about, I've got this to do and I've got that to do. And I, you know, and oh, this conversation that I had yesterday. Um, but it's a process. So what happens is, you know, like any meditation, when that happens, we're supposed to realize that we're thinking about these things and bring it back to listening and focusing on the mantra. And I talk about this because it is one of the most important ways in this age that we can cultivate this divine knowledge. And it is sound vibration, right? So that's what it talks about here in the purport, that every letter and every word of Srimad Bhagavatam is absolute. It's Krishna conscious sound vibration. And so this Hare Krishna mantra, the Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, is also sound vibration, and it has potency and power. Um, And, you know, in order to help me, and I think many of us do this as well, to, to really focus while, you know, while we're chanting, we read, we associate with each other, and we attend things like kirtan. Um, I was asked to speak briefly about my experience this past weekend at New York Rathiatra. So um, for people out there in the internet world who don't know, Rathiatra is the festival that we have. It's called it the festival parades um, that are Lordship's Jagannath Baladev Subhadra. Jagannath is the Lord of the universe. He's a smiling God. You know, he's got that big eyes and big smile. And here in Dallas, we call this festival the Festival of Joy because it, it does bring a lot of joy. And we um, had a procession from, if, you, if anybody's been to New York, you know how big and, and crowded Fifth Avenue can get. So we went from 45th Street and Fifth Avenue all the way down to Washington Square Park. It's about 20 blocks. It took about two and a half hours. Um, obviously, we weren't just walking it straight. We were dancing and singing and joyfully praising God's name through this Hare Krishna mantra. For two and a half hours, we sang the same mantra over and over again. And in New York, it's really massive. We have a few thousand people that come to attend. And then, of course, people that are there, um, tourists that are going by, they're, they also get very captivated and interested in what's going on because it's really beautiful. The colors, visually, it's very appealing. Um, orally, by the ears, say that word, orally, it is very appealing because there's all this beautiful singing and instruments being played. People are dancing very nicely. And um, 
In New York, we have three separate carts. Each of the divine siblings get their own char- uh, chariots. And each chariot has their own kirtan party, the own, their own singing um, kirtan that's going on. So as you walk through, you can hear three different, you know, tunes being sung. Um, usually not at the same time because they're far enough apart that you can't really hear them all at the same time. So I went this past weekend. It was it was amazing to see the, the grandeur of this, but really it came down to the stars of the show who are God, Jagannath, Lord of the Universe, and his brother Baladev and his sister Subhadra. And, you know, how how they've so mercifully come outside of the temple for all to see. So, you know, it doesn't require people coming to the temple to be able to glance upon them and gain their mercy. Um, One of the things that I realized also this weekend is that as grand as New York is, our, you know, festival here in Dallas is just as grand. We may not be as well attended. It may not be as visually big, but it's just as grand because it's the same concept. The divine siblings, Jagannath, Baladev, Subhadra, um, leave the temple and they go out for everybody to be able to glance upon them. Anybody that has that inclination or desire will get a chance to see them and not necessarily have to come to the temple to do so. So in that way, it's similar. Whatever Rathayatra you go to, that's the, the underlying concept and theme. Um, in New York, you know, get people from all over the world that come to this. The um, after party, as I like to call it, the Festival of India that's set up in the park is also well attended and Washington Square Park is a very busy park. So people from, you know, just come through. That's sometimes people are hanging out there. Um, So I, you know, it's a really grand experience. I enjoyed it tremendously. Just being in that kind of um, kirtan where you're immersed in it just helps you feel that much closer to God and um, be grateful for all of, you know, all of the experiences and all of the people that you know and meet and being part of this divine family. Um, so those are some of the thoughts that I had after attending Sprethiatra. Uh, and furthering on what we talk about for divine knowledge, a big part of that divine knowledge is in cultivating it is also what we call prashadam, which is uh, which I had mentioned, which is um, food that has been offered to Krishna. It's one of, one of the things that um, we're really big on. And even at this festival in New York, they fed everybody that came through. There was enough food, um, prasadam, to serve everybody, which is amazing, right? You're cooking for a couple of thousands of people, and you don't know how many exactly are going to come through. And they didn't limit to just the participants of the festival, anybody that was at the park that waited in line could get a plate. Um, so that's amazing too. And it's important because we all have to eat. So it's just a matter of taking a few moments of, you know, making sure that we offer what we eat, you know, to God saying, thank you. We tend to, a lot of us tend to pray anyway. Thank you for, for giving us this food stuff. 
a little bit different than that. It's this mindset of preparing the food specifically to serve to God. So that's where, that's the slight difference of prashadam and just praying for gratitude, which is still important. So we, when we prepare our foods, we try not to taste it. We try not to think too much about, you know, what we're preparing because we're, it's like we're preparing it for the Lord. And then we offer it to him and then we're, we can um, partake in this wonderful food. And, you know, people really like that. I mean, again, we have to eat. So we can make the food as opulent or as simple as we want it to be. And I think that's what's great about prashadam is that, again, it can be done um, anytime. Krishna says, a leaf, offer me with love and devotion, a leaf, a water, a flower, um, and he will accept it. So these are the things, like, it doesn't have to be grand. It can be, but it and it can be simple and also be healthy, which is really important to me because that's one of my big things that I like to um, propagate is making sure that we're eating healthy. You know, God doesn't necessarily need to eat healthy, so to speak. But since we have to and what we offer is um, what we eat, then it's important that we offer something that's healthy. So those are some of the points that I that came across when I was reading through these texts about Cultivating divine knowledge. Does anyone have any questions about what I spoke about? So we talked about this before. You asked, um, you know, if you're in an institution and you're forced to take meds, you have the right Mm -hmm. to blame Krishna. Obviously, you can do whatever you want, but if you want to progress and grow from that, the idea is to think of what um, what were your particular actions that put you there and what you can do differently. Well, it's not about that. It's about what your mindset is, right? So it's about being grateful for an experience that helps bring you closer to Krishna. Right, so it's a different, it's it's a shift. Instead of blaming Krishna for being there, you're thanking him for putting you in a situation that you're thinking about him. So it's a little bit of a difference in in looking at that situation. If you're thinking of Krishna, no. It's a great question. So the question is, is that I made a comment about. Um, that what we offer to Krishna should be healthy since we have to eat it. And many times here at the temple during festivals, the food that is served out is not the healthiest for our body. Um, And what can we do to, you know, change that? I mean, when you want to make a change, it comes down to having enough people willing to make that change. You know, it's twofold. Festivals are open to everybody. More people attend it. People want to enjoy, and eating is a form of enjoyment. And many people have the attitude of, well, I've given up so many things for Krishna consciousness, right? We have these rules of um, no meat, fish, or eggs, um, no intoxication, no um, 
illicit sex outside of procreation, no gambling. So it feels like one of the only vices we have left is to enjoy what we eat, to have that kind of sense enjoyment. Um, and, you know, I would say every once in a while it's okay to eat indulgently. However, we tend to have festivals very often. So it becomes very more much, right. So it becomes very much more than every once in a while. And as you pointed out, even our daily cooking that we offer is, is very opulent. And it's hard because it's twofold, right? We're thinking of we're, we're cooking for Krishna and this is um, how we know how to cook for Krishna. And what we think of as opulent is, you know, very um, oil-rich foods, very creamy foods, you know, spicy foods, very flavorful. Um, but it comes to changing that mindset because I would say that I don't eat not opulent. Sometimes my meals can be opulent. It's just that um, I try to avoid putting things like oil and cream in what I eat. Um, and, and, you know, to make for so many people on that level, it just takes a different way of looking at the cooking and looking at food there. And it takes many, many, many people requesting it repeatedly um, to make that change. And also, you know, when you're making a change, sometimes you have to to really do some things to shake it up. For instance, if nobody ate what was being prepared, then people would start to think, okay, how can we make it so that more people would eat it? Um, you know, and I just hear time and time again, well, how can it taste good without the oil? It's the oil that brings out the flavor. And I counter with, I think it's the vegetables that bring out the flavor. Vegetables have their own flavor and taste and they're very delicious, but sometimes we don't get to taste it because we overcook it and we douse it with oil and spices. So we can't really enjoy the flavor of the natural vegetables that we have that Krishna produced, you know, for us. They don't really need much to change it. Krishna made it. So, yeah, that's been something that's been dear to my heart is having to get more healthful feasts, you know. But how do you cook for a couple thousand people and keep it healthy and tasty? So the comment is that, you know, you it might not be a matter of no oil or ghee or butter, but less oil and, you know, try using more water. Um, and, it, you know, just people have to be mindful of when they're cooking to that. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, and if the cooks are more mindful about that, then and they know how to do. I think sometimes it becomes a little intimidating because this is the way they've cooked for years, generations, and they don't know how to cook any differently. So 
it can become a little overwhelming to ask somebody to cook with less oil or no oil or not put chilies because that's not how they're used to doing it. And so, um, you know, maybe people that are used to doing it can volunteer to cook if they have second initiation and Exactly. Too salty, too savory. So the com the comment is is that um you know, we should keep up with the trends and the trend is for more healthy eating. Um, he, you know, he was mentioning that when he goes to the Indian store, he sees baked samosas, organic flour, organic produce. And these are the things that we should keep up with um, in order to, to keep, you know, engaged with the public, with people, um, as well as the movement for veganism he mentioned. Now, I know that that's a very controversial topic in amongst devotees is veganism. But, you know, my challenge to everybody that's listening is at the very least, limit your dairy intake to ahimsa milk only. And, you know, if you do that, you'll notice that your dairy intake severely is limited because there's not a lot of ahimsa milk available. And you can't do, you know, you can't, You'd have to make your own ice cream, your own sour cream, your own butter, because the only thing you can get ahimsa right now is milk itself. So, you know, you can't, if you are really looking to make some changes that are in line with, with, uh, Krishna consciousness, then it would be a matter of cutting out supermarket dairy. Um, because the cows are severely mistreated and we learn, actually, it's in the first chapter, right? Like, the mistreatment of cows is one of the biggest things that led to Kaliyu, the age of hypocrisy and, and um, quarrel that we're in is Kali dressed as a king um, was abusing a cow. And part of that abuse was, you know, sep- keeping it separated from the calf, um, keeping the cow, you know, tied up and producing milk and slaughtering the male cows and um, abusing the bulls um, and keeping them, you know, kind of separating out the family. And we see that um, exaggerated now. We look at dairy farms. So not to harp on a controversial topic, but again, I would just say my challenge is cut out all supermarket milk and dairy. That would include butter, ice cream, sour cream, um, cheese and um, use ahimsa only. Um, so again, the comment was again to make our prasada more healthy, to to show that we're aware of all the trends and making it more appealing for you know, the people that are more health conscious. Um, I just want to kind of reiterate as part of that health conscious. And one of the things that I study is the inflammatory effects of dairy. 
So the more we still continue to imbibe in supermarket dairy, the worse our health is going to be. So if we did it once a week, as you're saying, ahimsa, um, you know, that kind of keeps you limited in that. So, you know, it's really just a matter of doing what's one, because if our health is not there, it's hard to do service. It's, you know, if you're, if you have a stomach ache, it's hard to think about Krishna in that moment because you have a stomach ache. If you, you know, are, have, if you've had a stroke or a heart attack and you can't move, how can you do your service? You know? And so, um, this whole Srimad Bhagavatam is, is about how to live, but it's also about how to die, right? How we should leave our body. And really, if we look at it, our body is just being lent to us, then we need to take care of it because it's the property of God. And so as the property of God, we have, we're entrusted to take care of these bodies, not to overindulge or underindulge because there are other people that, don't eat enough because they're trying to maintain a, a weight or, you know, their certain image. And so then they get malnourished from under eating. And then the opposite, you know, when people overeat, they become malnourished from overeating. So it's really about, you know, eating the right amount of the right foods that are for that particular person. And, and that's where what the goal is, right? That's how we're cultivating this divine knowledge is that everything that we do is towards that cultivation. So, you know, taking care of our bodies is part of that. Taking care of our mind. Um, exercising is important. Moving, you know, um, many of us are in sedentary jobs. And so it's important that we get exercise throughout the day, but also to set aside time. If we're not in a sedentary job and you're moving around a lot all the day, all day long, you may not need to set aside time to exercise, um, but it's still important to move around activity. Okay, well, it's getting, it's already 8.30, so it's time to take Prashadam. Hare Krishna.